Luke uh, chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. It can be found on page 973 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He said a little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another servant, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. When Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The word of the Lord. words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I wonder if uh, any of you have experienced the loyalty of British football fans. <laughs> By that I mean soccer fans. Anyone? I would, oh you have. I would venture to say that uh, if you have ever met any, any of them, in fact any British sports fans really, you would have come across some of the most loyal people that you will ever know. Uh, where I'm from, which is, you know, the UK, uh, you stick with a team through thick and thin. No fickle uh, support here. Um, and, and actually you kind of take some pride in sticking with a team that loses all the time. <laughs> um, the losses and the, uh, the wins are personal. Uh, my local team, Millwall, uh, is a great example of this, in that they don't win very often. But their fans can be heard regularly chanting something like this. No one likes us, no one likes us. No one likes us, we don't care. <laughs> or, Millwall till I die. <laughs> it is unheard of that you would abandon your team in times of trouble. And so these football fans are absolutely nothing like the person that we're going to be talking about this morning. Peter and his denial. When things get tough, at the crucible moment in Peter's relationship with Jesus, rather than staying loyal to him, Peter denies knowing Christ three times. In order for us to get a good understanding of, uh, of this story, it's important that we take some time to get to know Peter a little bit and the journey that he's been on up until this moment. And if you're familiar with Peter at all, you'll know that he's a larger-than-life character who has a big mouth, and a big heart. And throughout the gospel, he's known to say things without thinking. He makes these big grand gestures of commitment and uh, pretty regularly swings between having 
amazing moments of spiritual clarity and understanding and moments of completely missing the point. Uh, Peter's been on a journey with Jesus. Uh, I understand you guys have been reading through the book of Luke, and so you might be familiar with the fact that Peter was um, one of the first people to be called as Jesus' disciple. He experiences Jesus' power and provision and is drawn into worship. He's one of the first people to recognize himself as a sinful person in Jesus' presence. He's one of the first people to name Jesus out loud as Messiah. He gets to observe this strange um, experience called the Transfiguration, which I actually think you're hearing about next week, um, where these forefathers of the faith, uh, Elijah and Moses, appear to Jesus and Jesus gets transformed into his most glorious form. Peter gets to see him in, in that form. And then in, in Matthew's Gospel, we hear about how Peter sees Jesus walking on water towards him in a fishing boat, and Peter leaps out of the boat to walk towards him and walks on the water too. And then right before the story that we've heard this morning, Peter, we see Peter in his classic form, making these big gestures of uh, faith and commitment. Peter declares to Jesus that he would be willing to go to prison for him. In fact, he'd be willing to die for him. And then a little later on, when Jesus is being arrested, getting ready to be taken uh, on to be crucified, he, uh, Peter goes and cuts off someone, someone's ear, it kind of in an attempt to like defend Jesus, I guess. These, these grand actions that seem to suggest that Peter is completely committed to Jesus. And so it's, it's, it's really surprising knowing all of that, that we arrive at this story this morning. This story of Peter's denial, of his distancing, of his disloyalty. Peter's just witnessed Jesus being betrayed by a friend. Um, a betrayal that has allowed him to be taken off by the officers of the temple, the chief priests. And Peter's Tried to help, um, tried to help Jesus by cutting off a person's ear in his defense, and it's not helped. And Jesus has been arrested. And as Jesus is being taken away to the house of the high priest, Peter falls behind. He follows at a distance. After this spiritual high that he's just experienced, he's now faced with the reality that those who have just arrested Jesus would likely be looking for Jesus' friends and associates, and the fear kicks in. Fear of imprisonment, fear of the likely death that Peter would face um, if he was also known to be associated with Jesus. So despite his earlier declaration of loyalty, Peter hangs back. He walks slowly to the house where Jesus is being taken. In the courtyard outside of the house, someone lights a fire and Peter sits down with them, maybe thinking that he could blend in with the crowd. But within not much time, someone has recognized Peter, a servant girl, and she looks at him closely and says, this man was with him. But Peter replies, woman, I don't know him. 
first denial. A little later on, someone else sees Peter and says, You also were one of them. And Peter replies, Man, I am not. Second denial. And an hour later, someone else says, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replies, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Third denial. After all the relational history that Peter has with Jesus, despite all the experiences that they've shared together, even though there's been this faith stirring in Peter's heart from really early on in their relationship, when Peter finds himself faced with a choice between being associated with Jesus and facing death, or denying Christ and being allowed to live, Peter chooses what I'm sure in that moment feels like his best option. He chooses to distance himself from Jesus. He chooses immediate comfort in the moment life. And he turns away from Jesus. You know, when we hear this story, when we hear about Peter's actions, his decision to turn away from Jesus, we, we might be tempted to think that what we need to do, what we need to go and do is think really hard about the times that we have like verbally turned away from Christ. Maybe like the times we've not told our friends when we went to church on Sunday when they asked how our weekend was, or we've made up some other excuses to why we can't go out with them that night rather than telling them that we can't do it because we've got a small group. Or maybe you've, the, t the ways that you've distanced yourself from being a Christian at school or at work because you have seen how others who have identified themselves as Christians have been treated. And sure, we, we need to think about those things. We need to think about those sorts of choices that um, come from real fear. Sure, like fear of rejection, fear of not being accepted, fear of being ridiculed, fear of being associated with those Christians. All, all legit. But if I hung out, if, if I hung out just, just there in this sermon, and I could, and it might get you thinking, it would be doing this passage a disservice. It wouldn't really get to the heart of the matter. Because let me tell you this, this passage, although on one level it's about Peter's verbal denial of Christ, actually it's telling us about a much deeper heart-level denial that Peter is experiencing. Peter's denial reveals to us a heart that hasn't really grasped what it means to be in a relationship with Christ. He didn't see or understand that a relationship with Jesus offered him all he could possibly ever need. He didn't understand that being in a relationship with Jesus gave him access to the ultimate source of life. And he, and he didn't get that. He didn't understand that the relationship that he had with Jesus meant that he could be faced with any possibility of imprisonment or death by association with Christ and confidently walk towards him rather than away. He, he didn't get that the relationship he had with Jesus meant that he had more to be gained by being associated with Jesus than he had to lose. That the relationship that he had with Jesus that might have meant death in that moment 
could be far outweighed by the joy of the life that he had in Christ. And I don't think Peter is, understand, is alone in his misunderstanding. I think that we all kind of don't get it sometimes. Maybe pretty often. We all often don't really have a big enough understanding of the life we're offered in Jesus. We all often don't trust the power of the relationship we have with him. Or maybe we ignore the opportunity to explore what a relationship with Jesus might be like at all. We regularly, all of us, regularly deny Christ and decide that in the face of our difficult situation, in the face of our struggle, in the face of our pain, in the face of choices that we have, Jesus is not the answer, is not the place to go, and so we all turn away from him. We decide that there are other ways of dealing with our challenges, dealing with our struggles. We might, we might not be faced by the same sort of choice that Peter was, that might land us in prison or physical death, and really we live in a country, thanks be to God, where we don't face that by being associated as a Christian. But we, we do face choices daily where we can decide either to believe and trust in the relationship that we have with Jesus is enough, or we can decide that it's not. To deny is to refuse something that we're offered. To deny Christ is to turn away and to refuse the life, the goodness, the kindness, the love, the acceptance, the strength, the peace, the patience, the grace that we find that we have access to in Jesus. We deny Christ every time we decide to believe that what he has to offer us isn't enough to meet our needs, that he's not strong enough to protect us, that he isn't trustworthy enough to provide for us. He isn't, a loving, he isn't loving enough to deal with our emotions. He isn't faithful enough to fight our battles. He isn't big enough to hold our pain. And so we turn to other things. We turn to other things to try and meet those needs, to find protection, to, to deal with our emotions, to fight our battles. We deny Christ when we watch porn rather than turning to God to meet our needs for intimacy and connection. We deny Christ when we turn to food to soothe our emotions and stress rather than looking our emotions in the face in the presence of God. We deny Christ when we use pot to calm our anxiety rather than running into the arms of the Father who brings us deep and abiding peace and rest. We deny Christ when we stay late at work in order to avoid that difficult conversation with our spouse. We deny Christ when we stay silent in the face of injustice rather than speaking out. We deny Christ when we numb ourselves with retail therapy rather than uh, in order to avoid the difficult emotions we're experiencing. We deny Christ when we agree with someone's opinion that we actually think is pretty troubling, but we do it in order to keep the peace and not rock the boat. We deny Christ when we stay out longer than we want to because we're afraid that to say that we want to go home early will 
damage our friendship group dynamics. We deny Christ when we get overly stressed about how good a sermon is going to be or how I'll get to do Instead of trusting that our worth and our value doesn't come from our performance. We deny Christ when, fill in the blank, I'm sure you can think of things in your own life. And it happens to all of us, it's not a new problem. It's not a modern problem, it's not a secular problem. It's a problem that has infected the heart of humanity since almost the beginning of our history. It's a problem of turning away from God rather than turning towards Him. Turning away from God rather than turning towards Him. Now maybe at this point some of you are feeling a little paralyzed by fear or by shame. Fear that says, yeah, but Catherine, you don't get how scary my emotions are. Or, or you don't get how painful that, emo that experience was that I'm trying to avoid dealing with. You don't get how difficult my husband is to talk to. <laughs> Maybe you're grappling with the size of the struggles and the problems uh, that you're facing. That you're grappling with the, the strength of the pull of the world um, telling you that you can deal with your own problems. Maybe you want to stand up and say, Catherine, stop making me feel so bad. Or, or the shame. Maybe you're paralyzed by the shame that says, well, you've been caught. She knows. She knows you give in to that thing. She knows that you're avoiding that pain. She knows that you doubt that the relationship you have with Jesus can handle it. And maybe you want to stand up said, stop making me feel bad for the bad decisions I know I've already made. Well, let me first tell you that I don't actually think you're experiencing anything unique in feeling those feelings. I think it's pretty normal to want to like run away and crawl up into a wall when we're faced with the reality of who we are. But I'll also say that I can absolutely identify. And you know, it really sucked if I just sat down and that's, that's it guys. <laughs> oh, well. Fear and shame are healthy ways for you to come to terms with who you really are, so you've got to sit in it for a while and do better next time. <laughs> that would suck, that's not what I'm doing. Um, we need to get back into the text, because uh, there are, you know, I stopped. There are a few more verses. Peter denied Christ three times. And after the third denial, we read that Peter hears this rooster crow. <coughs> and at that moment, we're told that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the Lord's words. Before the rooster crows this morning, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I'm certain that when Peter heard that rooster crow, he felt paralyzed with fear and shame too. Just like we are when we're faced with our own fallibility, our own flawedness, our own brokenness. Peter in that moment was confronted with the fact that he had done exactly what Jesus had predicted that he would do. Because you know earlier when I mentioned that, um, that Peter had made this big claim that he would be willing to die for, for Jesus or go to prison. Well after he said that, Jesus turned to him and said, actually dude, you're going to deny me three times before the, before the rooster crows. And he did it. The rooster crows. 
And then we're told that Jesus, the person that Peter has denied, looks straight at him. And I can imagine that that look must have felt piercing. Like straight into his soul, sort of piercing. Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter was confronted with his true, messy brokenness. And it caused him to weep bitterly. When Jesus looks at us, we're exposed as our true, full, complete selves. And those true, full, and complete selves are two things, at the very least. They're two things. Our true, full, complete selves are broken and messy. When we come under the gaze of the Lord, who is holy, when Jesus looks straight at us, we're exposed in all of our sinfulness. He sees our hearts in their true state. That is one truth. But the other is this, that that's not all of who we are. In our, in our true, full completeness, we might be broken, but boy, are we loved. <coughs> Some of you might hear verse 61, that the Lord looks straight at Peter, and might imagine that Jesus looked straight at Peter with accusatory eyes that sought to make Peter feel as bad as possible about what he'd done. Or maybe some of you um, imagine that Jesus looked at Peter with alienating eyes that looked to hold Peter at a distance because of what he'd done. Or maybe you expect that Jesus looked at Peter with angry eyes, full of bitterness and disappointment at what he'd done. You know, and maybe your experiences with your family and your friends or maybe other Christians or even the church has meant that you've come to expect that when you do something that causes you to feel fear and shame, you will receive an accusation and alienation and anger from other people or even from God. In our, in our human relationships, that might be what we do experience. But I want you to hear me when I say that when Jesus looked at Peter in the courtyard after Peter had denied him three times, that that look might have exposed Peter as full and messy and broken, but it was a look of love, of deep and abiding love. When Jesus looks at us, we're uncovered as broken, but we are identified as deeply loved. How do I know this? How do I know that this look that Jesus gave Peter wasn't full of accusation, alienation, or anger? Because even though Peter denied uh, Christ three times, turned away from him and wanted nothing to do with him, Jesus went on to be crucified on the cross. Jesus didn't change his mind about the cross after he saw that Peter had denied him. No, he continued on that path set before him that led him to be crucified for, all, for Peter in all of his brokenness and neediness. And for me, in all of my brokenness and neediness. And for you, in all of your brokenness and neediness. 
Jesus' willingness to go to the cross, his willingness to take on all of the accusation and alienation and anger that we should have got by from turning away from him. This willingness is the greatest indication of Jesus' love for us. The best proof we have that Jesus loves us. The best evidence that we have that we uh, that our brokenness does not cause Jesus to abandon us or forsake us. In fact, it was because he didn't want to abandon and forsake us that he even went to the cross in the first place. He, he died for us so that he could put our right wrong. Sorry, he could put our wrongs right. <laughs> um, so that we might be put right in him. That we might have a right and good relationship with God forevermore. You're denying Christ, whatever that looks like, it doesn't undo the work that God, that Jesus did for you on the cross. But in order for us to fully understand the complete weight of what Jesus did for us, we have to let him look at us. We have to let, us, we have to let him look at us with love. We have to let him see all the messy brokenness. And it can feel scary and it can feel like a risk. It can feel really vulnerable to be exposed like that. It, it, like the total opposite of what we naturally want to do. Jesus looked at Peter and rather than accuse him, push him away or explode at him in anger, he went to the cross for him to give him access to full life and abundance that isn't taken away or based on Peter's perfection, but is based on Jesus' love and the grace offered through Jesus' actions. And this is true for you too. I want to finish by telling you this. Um, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, uh, we hear this story um, of when Peter and Jesus meet for the first time after Peter's denial. After Jesus has died and he's raised again. Jesus and Peter have this exchange on a beach, maybe you're familiar with it, where um, Jesus reinstates Peter, reestablishes him as one of his own. It's a moment of reconciliation and of forgiveness and of commissioning. Because in that moment, Jesus... Um, commands Peter to take care of his people, his sheep. And from there, Peter goes on to be the rock upon which the church is built. Peter's denial of Christ did not exclude him from being used by God in a really big way in the life of the church. Our usefulness to Christ is not dictated by our ability to meet standards of commitment or behavior, but rather is enabled by the grace and love that God pours out upon us. Your denial does not exclude, exclude you from being used by Christ. The relationship that Jesus has, um, that you have with Jesus, is, is big enough, is strong enough, is, is faithful enough to hold your pain and your struggle. And it's a relationship that you can lean into rather than turn away from. It's a relationship full of love and grace that is not maintained by your perfection. It's not by, maintained by your faithfulness. It's not maintained by you turning towards Christ. 
It is absolutely 100% maintained by Christ turning towards us. It's, it's maintained by that deep, abiding, abundant love and grace that we receive from Jesus when he looks straight at us. We pray with you. Father God, we are so, so grateful that you would look at us in our true messiness, you would look at us and you would love us. And that you would love us so much that you would go um, on to die for us so that we can have um, abundant and intimate relationship with you. We're grateful, God, that we don't have to meet standards in order to be used by you. We don't have to prove our worthiness in order for you to love us. But um, that you choose to love us. You pour out that love and grace upon us day after day, and we're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.